It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap off. Hand off Jacobs. Has the first down in the big hole. 15, 10, 5, touchdown Raiders! Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car in the shotgun. Back to pass. Climbs the pocket. Eyes downfield. Fires a strike to Devontae at the 25. Breaks away 20. 15, 10, 5. Dives. Touchdown, Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. All right, good to have you back. There's a lot of news today on Raider Nation Radio. JT with you. Happy birthday to George Atkinson, uh, the first ever co-host of mine on the Silver and Black show. It was back then behind the shield. Up in Alameda in Oakland, and George, I was the partner with George on the Raiders pre- and post-game radio show when I got hired by the Raiders. George was my partner, and George broke me in. I owe everything to George. So when you see George, uh, wish him a happy birthday. He's such an important friend of Mark Davis, Mrs. Davis, the entire organization. He's been here through several regimes Uh, His best friend was Cliff Branch. Mark Davis's best friend was Cliff Branch. You know the connection. If you know Mark Davis and George Atkinson, they are dear, 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 great friends. So think of George today on his birthday. We love George Atkinson, man. My wife loves George Atkinson, his family, everything he's done for us. I could never, ever, ever thank George Atkinson enough for what he's done for my life in the Raider world. The Chiefs have activated wide receiver McCall Hardman from injured reserve. Uh, Ravens and Bengals is now scheduled for the 1 o'clock Eastern time slot on Sunday as they're moving some games around here. I just uh, told everybody before we went to the top of the hour that Bobby Petrino has bailed on UNLV football as the offensive coordinator to go to Texas A&M. He'll be the offensive coordinator there. Texas A&M had one of the highest contracts in the history of football to Jimbo Fisher. And Jimbo Fisher has vastly underachieved. And I think they still owe him. And someone correct me here. I don't have my Google Doc in front of me, but like $85 million. It's one of the largest buyouts it would be. And believe me, they're not happy at Texas A&M. They're not happy at Texas with Steve Sarkeesian. They're not happy with a lot of coaches in college football, and they bail on them. But Jimbo Fisher is a play caller. He's known as a play caller. It'd be like Josh McDaniels saying, I'm giving up play calling. Whoa, wait a second. We hired you to be the play caller. You're the play caller for Tom Brady. But at times, a head coach wants to have another set of eyes on him. And Bobby Petrino is one hell of an offensive play caller. I thought this was a coup hire for UNLV to have Bobby Petrino because just like I said on the day Bobby Petrino was hired, I said, man, I'll believe that when I see it. And he got the gig. And I said, man, this is a guy who's looking to start up again. He had some personal issues, a motorcycle accident. Everybody knows about Bobby Petrino. But he gets a second chance, and he gets it now. Should you be upset with him? It reminds us of Chris Beard leaving to go to his alma mater at the time, Texas Tech, before he went to Texas. Guys are going to take the most money. And Fisher has always called his own plays on offense and is one of the diminishing number of head coaches to do so but Petrino will take over primary play calling duties. So if Bobby Petrino is going to Texas A&M for a lot more money, I mean a lot more money than UNLV could ever pay, you understand why he's going. So you can hate the guy for it, but you understand why. The, the college football is so bleeping out of control right now, everybody. Name, image, and likeness. Players leaving, getting into the transfer portal. Coaches agreeing to terms and leaving. There's no rules. 
Kirk Herbstreit talked about it when he was at the Rose Bowl the other day. He said there are no rules from the NCAA. So anybody can do whatever the hell they want. So does Bobby Petrino deserve to be dragged for this? Yeah, there's some UNLV boosters and fans who are pretty set up about this. But Jimbo just finished his fifth season at Texas A&M, and he was 5-7 and seven and missed a bowl game for the first time since 2008. Jimbo Fisher is going to get bought out of his contract and fired if he doesn't win big this year. So he's desperate, so he stole him away. Petrino, 61. He has extensive head coaching experience, which I really thought was going to help UNLV. And, you know, he had a Heisman Trophy winner in Lamar Jackson. How would you like UNLV to have a guy who got the Heisman Trophy for Lamar Jackson and now you don't get a chance to do this? I'm not going to rip UNLV on this, and I'm not going to rip Petrino because the money was there. Uh, He made a commitment. He broke the commitment. That's not good, but he got a lot more money, and it's a much bigger job than UNLV. The offensive coordinator at Texas A&M compared to UNLV football, night and day, night and day. So that's where we stand. You know, I sent out a tweet the other day, Tulane beat USC. Everybody think about this if you're a football fan. Tulane in Louisiana, which is where a lot of kids party in New Orleans. Tulane, very good academic school, by the way. Very good academically. Tulane beat USC. Why can't UNLV beat Tulane? Anybody? Bueller? Anybody? Why can't UNLV football with the Fatita Complex... Allegiant Stadium, billion-dollar casino after billion-dollar casino, best weather in the world, kids like to come, party, their friends want to visit. Why can't UNLV football be TCU, Tulane? I'm not asking UNLV football to be Alabama. I'm not asking them to be Texas A&M or UCLA or USC. But Coach Odom in this program and the boosters and the pretend boosters, you know, the boosters who say, I'm a UNLV booster. How much you give? Let me see. It's like the gamblers in this town. How much you bet on a game? I I don't want to tell you. The UNLV classic football boosters. No one knows who they are. No one knows where they are. But they all claim to be boosters. This is big boy college football. Petrino looked at the offer from Texas A&M. Said, man, I was really excited for UNLV. How quick can I get out of here to make that much money and be at that program? So did UNLV get the worst end of the deal? Yes, yes. But Bobby Petrino looked at the gig, and he accepted the gig, and I want to know how you want to hold him accountable. We'll get to that coming up here in a little bit. And I got a good interview I want to share with you. I talked to the sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills. Sal Carpaccio is going to join us. The sideline reporter on the Bills' sideline during what happened to DeMar Hamlin. I had him on last night. He was there. It's really good. We'll have that here in a few minutes as we open up this hour. And a lot of sound I want to play from Shannon Sharp, Boomer Esiason, and the big controversy over at ESPN with one of their analysts, a former football player who is in big-time hot water today. Uh, Richard in Arizona, thanks for waiting. You're up next. Appreciate you holding. Hey, no problem. Um, hey, so, I mean, I don't want to get off too far off topic, mm-hmm. but you're bringing up Jimbo, and I'm a big college fan. I wanted to get on car. But you can't blame Jimbo, and I want to throw another thing out there for Jimbo as well. I, I'm sorry, Jimbo Petrino mm-hmm. is if Jimbo gets fired, more than likely Petrino will get the intern job mm-hmm. for the rest of the year. He's got extensive Very head good coaching point. experience, so why not at that point? Um, but I'm glad you brought it up because I can segue into what my point is. Is I, I and I've said it before. I think McDaniel's is the issue, and he really needs to give up play calling duties. Jimbo's seeing it now after a five and seven season. But it's a completely vastly different game in the NFL, and his buyout is crazy. So 
uh, I'm going to segue into Carr and, and, and Stidham is, in, in my personal opinion, from evaluation is, yes, Stidham does look different. He should look different. He's a different quarterback. At best, though, in my personal opinion, Stidham's going to be our next Vince Evans. And I'm okay with that. We need a Vince Evans. Every team needs a Vince Evans. For you young Raider fans out there, Vince Evans was a, a longtime backup quarterback for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that he also couldn't beat out uh, Steve Berline. He couldn't beat out Jay Schrader. He couldn't beat out Hosteller. Just like Stidham couldn't beat Old Man Cam out. He couldn't beat Hoyer out. Couldn't mm-hmm. beat Mac Jones out. He couldn't beat Carr out. And Carr beat Schwab out his first rookie year. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just still feel that Carr is, you know, I still feel Carr is the scapegoat. But my last point, JT, is with Carr, you brought up Stabler and Plunkett, and, and, and I love that because Stabler, Stabler didn't play for the name on the back of the jersey. He played on name for the front of the jersey, and that's Carr. He plays for the Raiders. He, play, he, he, he breathed, lived, died for the silver and black. That's like us fans. When people say Niner faithful, I'm going to use a young kid's word. That's cap. Because you know what? There's nothing more faithful than a Raider fan, the Raider nation. And Carr was that. Carr was like, you know, someone that we, you know, kind of we, we backed because he bled mm-hmm. silver and black. He wasn't going to be a Petrino and leave for the money. You know, yeah, yes, yeah. he got paid mm-hmm. well. But that's my point, JT. Okay. And, you know, you. I, I guess I'm still fired up, man. Yeah, I appreciate your call. Love hearing that phone call. Very good. We got the best callers. We have the best. We have the longest. We have the most intense. We have the most knowledgeable. We we do, because I've been doing this longer than anybody. So when a guy pops up I haven't heard from for 12 years or 12 days or whatever, if they're good callers, I want to hear from you, especially after this week. I was just talking with Bobby. We had a coffee. We got some work to do, man. Raiders, Raiders end on Saturday. We're going to be back here next week. And then we are just focusing on the Super Bowl. So we're going to be talking about the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Eagles, all that, and waiting on Raiders breaking news. But I'm not coming in here every day talking about a backup center. I told you that. You know me. I am not spending six months talking about your practice squad. No interest. Not my show. There are podcasts there for that. We are going to talk about the hits, the big stories in sports. We're going to revert back to doing a sports talk show with Raiders leading if there's Raiders news. And I don't know. There should be a lot of Raider news in the offseason. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Uh, What other players are going to come in? Super Bowl. And then we count down to the Super Bowl here in Vegas. And as I tweeted out today, I got some good reaction on the tweet. This will be the most exciting year in Las Vegas history, I believe. All right. So when it comes down to what he just said about Bobby Petrino, he's, he's right. Bobby Petrino takes a job in the SEC and his boss gets fired. It's a pretty good job for him to get. No doubt about it. I didn't think of that. Marcus is in Greensboro, North Carolina, on the Raiders mobile app. Hey, thanks for having me, JT. Um, just wanted to say, uh, Stidham last week, uh, the eye test, uh, it really looked good. Yes. Um, the future, we, we just don't know what the future holds, but he just really looked good. He looked comfortable. Players played for him, uh, and that's really all that we can ask. And hoping that this week he looks, even if he looks 75% <laughs> as good as he did, you know, this past week, you know, we'll with that just wondering about the offseason as far as what's going to uh the future you know quarterback will be possibly him i did want to uh, ask you just one thing though because i know you had mentioned and i know when i listen to you, you talk about car a lot as far as mm. letting the clock wind down I, to me you know watching the game it seemed like it that happened a little bit more 
with Stidham than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Because it was a couple times it got down to zero where I was like, yeah. you know, flag, you know, I thought they was going to throw a flag. And we know it's going to happen sometime, but he seems to be very comfortable with the playbook. But to me, it seemed like it was just happening to where the clock got down pretty close to zero. Yeah, just it happened a, a few bit. times. Yeah. It happened a few times. I appreciate the call. It happened all the time with Derek. And I'm not – I don't know if the play call came in late. It, the check downs is what bothers me. Not the checking down – of the play to a pass, the checking down of the protection. What bothered me with Derek all this year, and maybe he'll explain it to me and other people, was why when he came to the line of scrimmage, there was so much confusion. There were pre-snap penalties. He's the quarterback. He's the quarterback. There's pre-snap penalties. So he and the head coach got to clean that up on both of them. And they jumped off sides a lot, and they took the clock down. They just played very slow on offense with one of the most explosive offenses. If the Raiders didn't have a really good offense, and remember this year Waller and Renfro missed a lot of time, and maybe I'm being too critical because those guys didn't miss a lot of time. But in general, I wanted to see more up-tempo, and I don't care who the quarterback is next. Whoever the quarterback is next, that's just a style of football I like. The coach is the boss. I am not the boss. Okay, the coach is the boss. I treat him like the boss, and the owner's the boss, and the GM's the boss. And I have to talk to him and see him all the time. So I have a lot of respect for my employers and the people that I cover here. How many times have you heard me say this year in my criticism about everything? I've been highly critical this year of the performance, the blown leads, the pace of play, not being fast enough, and all of that. That's just my style of being a sports fan. I'm a football fan long before I came to the Raiders 24 years ago. And I I like faster football when you have the players to do it. And I don't think on defense they had the players to play the style that Patrick Graham wanted to play. I don't. And on offense, with Waller and Renfro being out and Derek's style of play, I just thought it was a little bit too slow for me. And I hope it's a little bit faster next year. That's it. If it's not and they do what they're going to do and they have different players to make it work, I think a lot of it's going to change with the offensive line. You all know this from listening to the show and listening to these coaches. The offensive line started off with seven or eight starters. They had a two- to three-player rotation of guys who were playing right up to the start of the season after the preseason. That can't happen again. That wasn't Dave Ziegler's fault. He didn't have the guys. He drafted Thayer Mumford. He drafted Dylan Parham. Leatherwood was a bust like Jamarcus Russell, that level of a bust. That's not Ziegler's fault. He had to clean them out. And then they had to find the right offensive linemen with mostly backup players. Illuminar, bars. These guys are backups in the league now, and they perform well at times. You got to get better guys in here, and then maybe you can run the offense faster because you got guys who aren't jumping off sides all the time. You don't have pre-snap penalties because they got guys in here that they're confident they're going to be more confident with at the line of scrimmage to make better decisions. So last night, I couldn't believe we got him on the air. You know, me being a sideline reporter back in the day, and I know Sal Capaccio from back in the day. He's been with Buffalo. He's got a talk show. I go on his talk show. He comes on mine. My producer texted him and said, could you come on? He said, yeah. This is the sideline reporter when Hamlin went down with the cardiac issue. He was standing right there. I talked to him last night about how the people around the situation are getting through this. Uh, Thanks. Good to talk to you, as always. Um you know, obviously it's been a, a somber last 24 hours, a lot of emotion. Um, you know, I think today was a day to kind of, you know, think about what we all went through a little bit there. If you, if it, you know, however you processed it last night, I know for me personally, I was trying to do my job 
last night and, you know, going through it, you couldn't really kind of process everything because you're, you're on the air live. You're trying to be the information, the source of information for people, and you're trying to also get information yourself. And then today, you know, waking up and just kind of re- just what I went through, what we all went through, I should say, what I saw, just kind of in disbelief to think about everything that went down last night. So what kicked into your mind? Because as I was on the air live and we had the feed from Westwood One and we were watching the ESPN ABC feed, you're down there, and I've been a sideline reporter a long time, but never, of course, seen anything like that. What kicked into you? Because a lot of people around the country weren't getting information because it was so serious and people didn't know that this was a heart issue instead of a brain issue. When did you notice when the referees came over, the trainers came out that, oh, my God, they're, they're doing CPR and it's over eight or nine minutes total? Well, it was more like, um, you know, when he went down, you know, because he kind of dropped, it was like, okay, something's obviously wrong here, but you think it's maybe about a head or a neck injury, right? Because we've seen that before with a head or neck injury, a guy gets knocked out. Then you see the Bengals players and Bills players, but Bengals players who are nearby calling for um, medical professionals right away. And then you know something's wrong. And then as they're working on him, you couldn't really see what was happening. But at one point I said, man, like, are they doing CPR on him? Like, I couldn't tell for sure. And a couple of people down in the field, like we were trying to figure that out because there were so many bodies down there. And I thought, no, they, that wouldn't have been happening, right? Like, you know, it's just something you never think you're going to see. And I thought, you know what they're probably doing? They're probably cutting off his, his face mask. And mm-hmm. sure enough, they were doing both, really. They were giving him CPR, and they were cutting off his face mask. So, um, you know, that's when it was really kind of kicked in that that was happening. But then, JT, when, like, what happened was they got everybody off the sidelines, the Bills did, uh, everybody from players, coaches, staff, and they all made this really big circle in this perimeter around DeMar Hamlin and them working on him. And they kept that, per- that circle, like, behind them so they could see us and look out. And the reason they did that was so that no one could see inside on what was going on. And that's when you really knew that something was up, especially because now you started to see the emotion on players' faces, and there was quite a bit of it, as you know. Sal Cabaccio joins us. He's a sideline reporter for the Bills, covers the Bills as good as anyone. So that makes a lot of sense to me now. So when they make that tight huddle, not only are they doing that to protect him and who could see in, but then you start seeing some of the players break off. You start seeing them stand up and walk away in tears and hugging other guys. And I think that's when most of the national media picked up on it and people were saying, oh, my God, what's going on here? Because the players quickly started breaking down. What was that like for you as they were going into the tunnel and you're outside the tunnel? You know you have locker room access. You know the players personally here. What was going on? when they sent everybody back into the locker room here and then you see the head coaches talking before they make the decision to cancel. Yeah, they did not allow the media really to get anywhere close to that. We can go in the tunnel and they had us cordoned off a little bit. Um, the, mm-hmm. the locker room was right there, kind of the corner of the end of the tunnel. But even then, we, we couldn't really go down the hallway. And that's where you had Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor kind of talking and they were on a phone. You knew something was up. You knew they were talking to somebody with the league maybe. Um, but they didn't really let us you know, go down there. And then I'm, I'm live on the air. So if I go too deep in the tunnel, my transmitter won't work for the radio. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to stay on the field. And then when I'm off the air, because we're throwing it back to network or something then I go in to try and get information. And at one point they actually moved the entire media out of the tunnel. They said, everybody's got to get out of the tunnel. We all went back on the field, radio, TV, everybody. And then they even told all the TV people, put your cameras down. They didn't even allow people to shoot any video looking inside the tunnel. So it was, um, you know, it was, 
quite the ordeal, you know, down there trying to get information, see what was going on. They were very, very protective when the game was finally ultimately postponed. Um, they did let us go into the, the post-game media room and, you know, gather our things like we normally would. There was no mm-hmm. lo- open locker room. There was no, you know, post-game podium or anything like that. But we still had to stand in the hallway for about well, close to an hour. They cleaned out the cleared out the entire locker with everybody before anybody was allowed to even go in the staging area where the buses were. So there was no conversation at all with any players or coaches. Sal Capaccio joins us, sideline reporter for the Bills. So when the decision was made to travel and go back home, I, again, I was still on the air. It was such a long show last night, and we're talking about that. I was wondering if there was going to be a chance, and we didn't debate playing again, but we were wondering if there was a chance to play, if there was going to be good news about the fallen player and anything positive was going to come out, would the Bills stay in Cincinnati? And I know a couple of players did. What was that like with the team charter and the buses and the police escort and knowing that there are Bills fans who were there because they travel everywhere? You see the Cincinnati fans. What was that like when you got the news that the team's going back to Buffalo? Well, first of all, um, I, if if there had been really good news, then maybe the, the decision would have been differently. Who knows? I think that maybe that's mm-hmm. what people were waiting yeah. on. Could we get information about Tamar Hamlin, right? Um, but we didn't get that, and nobody really knew what was going on. And as, as there was no information or not good information, then I think you know, eventually whoever made the ultimate decision to postpone the game had to make that decision. And they said basically to – you know, make sure, um, you know, that we, they were told us, Hey, we're going to go back to Buffalo. So when that happened though, we all, as I said, we're sitting in the hallway. Then we finally got on the buses. I, I think we, we actually stayed in the buses for like over an hour. And I think it's because actually all the players and coaches came back there. No players stayed in Cincinnati. They went there to the hospital, but they came back to the right. buses. Sean McDermott came back. Everybody was on the charter back home, except for GM Brandon Bean and his, and um, his family, Demar Hamlet's family that stayed in Cincinnati. Wow, Sal, it's just an unbelievable story. You don't train for this, but you're a pro. You've been doing this a long time. I want to spend the rest of our conversation talking about the medical staff and the great job that they did because any details you have of that, of seeing what they were doing and noticing the cooperation. and the For me, the ambulance was on the field for so long. Every second it was there longer than expected. People got more and more concerned because obviously there was – CPR, this was a heart issue, and they couldn't get him on the ambulance to take him to Cincinnati Hospital there. And I think a lot of fans, that's when the kids who were there, the parents, everybody at the game were getting more and more uncomfortable. But you were there. You weren't too far away from that medical staff. And what was happening on WGR? Are fans talking about that and understanding the job they did in the stadium? Yeah, we're, um, you know, we've been cognizant, and I know I have, to kind of make sure and to tell everybody. And, you know, we go back a long time here with, what happened to Kevin Everett on the field in Buffalo yeah. many years ago and, you know, that situation. And we're lucky enough to have some incredible medical professionals here in Buffalo and they're a part of the Bills organization. Um, there was also Richard Zednick, I believe, the hockey player, when he got cut in Buffalo on his throat. Um, the yes. doctor, I believe, Les Bisson, who's the Leslie Bisson, who's one of the Bills team doctors, also his team's doctor for the Sabres at the time, and he works in both capacities, and he was actually there in that. So, you know, these these, these people, they have – a lot of experience, unfortunately, dealing with a lot of these traumatic events, and they're very well trained, obviously. And I think it's safe to say, JT, right now, that you know they saved Demar Hamlin's life on the field. Um, you know, to know how long that he was, you know, administered CPR out there, they did an amazing job. And I also want to say, everybody in Cincinnati was amazing. Security, stadium ops, media, whoever it was, um, fans in the stands, it, it was first class all the way, and they were very accommodating. They made 
a really tough situation be as comfortable as possible for everybody involved. Sal Capaccio, last one, Sal, and I really appreciate your time, extended time. The Bills will play football again. They have a game coming up on Sunday. A lot of people are asking, will there be a rematch with Cincinnati out of respect to DeMar Hamlin and his family? We'll table that conversation, but I'm sure the Bills are using all their resources to make sure the players are okay as everybody prays for DeMar Hamlin. There's a lot of football left. I mean, I picked this team to win the Super Bowl. I'm staying with that pick. This is a hell of a football team, and now they have this mental obstacle that they're going to have to fight through when are you going to be talking about this on your shows? And this topic is not being brought up yet in Buffalo, but with games coming up here, the football conversation is going to pick up. And, man, it seems like it's going to be a really tough conversation to have, especially in and around Buffalo. It is, and I'm not sure about that. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. at this point, JT, it's day-to-day. Like, right now, I don't yeah. even know what's going on tomorrow. And normally Wednesday is a media day and a practice day, and I don't know what's going on tomorrow. So, you know, you're right that they are very, very uh, good at having resources available. I'll tell you, since I've been covering this team, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, they are right at the forefront of making sure they have as many resources as possible for the mental health component for their players, their coaches, and their staff. They're very, very on top of that. They believe in it, and they're going to do whatever they can to make sure, especially in a situation like this, that everyone has everything they need as far as mental health is concerned. Um, so I'm sure that's a big part of the conversation today and tomorrow and the coming days and weeks. Um, but I don't know when we're going to have that conversation. It might really have to happen with the Bills or the league initiating that conversation first before we go down that road. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll follow you on Twitter, at Sal Sports, and really appreciate it. I don't know even if you got much sleep with everything you've been doing the last 24 hours and even going forward. Thanks a lot for doing this, Sal. Really appreciate this interview. All right, you got it, man. Thank you. Sal Carpaccio, that was from last night on my Mad Dog show. I don't play a lot of content unless it's relevant on this show. I thought that was pretty relevant to hear the sideline reporter of the Buffalo Bills on one of the most dramatic moments in the history of this league. He's right there for that. There was a lot of confusion. As you just heard from Buffalo, they're taking it day by day. They got a game against the Patriots coming up. I don't think they're going to make up the game against Cincinnati. They'll go into the playoffs maybe without two home games playing only one. Things are going to change in the AFC playoffs, and the Raiders could have something to say about it if they beat Kansas City. I got some good sound to play. Stick around coming up next. I think you'll enjoy it. Snap. Play action. Stidham rolling out to the right. Towards the end zone. The Waller makes the grab at the two. Touchdown Raiders! Jared Stidham's first drive as a starter. And it winds up in the end zone on a 24-yard pass to the near corner to Darren Waller. All right, welcome back to Raider Nation Radio on a gloomy, cold day. Man, reminds me of a little East Coast day today. A little gloomy, cold out there. Feels like it's going to rain here on the mean streets of Summerlin. Hope everyone's doing well. Big weekend coming up here. And again, heavy, heavy Chiefs Raiders content tomorrow when I interview the head coach. We get into the game plan. We got a couple of shows here. And I'm, I'm excited about Kansas City, everybody, as a season ticket holder. And just the opportunity to see Mahomes play, Herbert play. We saw Brock Purdy play. I like going to football games. I want the Raiders to win and crush everybody. 
I thought the Raiders should have beat the 49ers, the number one defense. They didn't. Kansas City comes in. If you want to evaluate your roster, like I know Dave Ziegler wants to do, I'm a big Ziegler guy. I am. I like what he's doing. I like where his mind is at. Evaluating here. Here's your evaluation. 49ers and Chiefs. 500 yards against the 49ers. No one came close to that. Now you got Kansas City, who's been a nemesis to all the former regimes here. I know Max is going to play hard. I know Max is going to play his ass off because it's the last game of the year for him and the, fl- and the Pro Bowl's flag football. Flag football, and Max won the MVP, uh, the defensive MVP at the last Pro Bowl. I'll never forget that moment. Sitting, I went as a guest as one of my buddies, and we went there uh, sitting in the lower bowl, wherever it was, one. 25 or whatever section and max comes out in the pro ball full speed everybody else is playing it max is ready for sacks tip balls all of that now it's a flag football game so this is the last football game max crosby's going to play with contact and i guarantee you he's going to have a big game i promise you he will i want to do something different here and first i want to thank woodson bourbon whiskey as we kick off the new year Charles Woodson is a proud partner of our show. I was on a conference call today with his team talking about what we want to do, and I reminded him that this upcoming year is the biggest year in the history of Las Vegas when it comes to sports. You might have saw my tweet. F1, which could be bigger than everything. Countdown to the Super Bowl. So as soon as the Super Bowl ends, coming up in Glendale, Scottsdale, Phoenix, Everything pivots to Vegas. We are on the clock. We, those who live in Vegas, that's going to be monstrous. Rodeo, you're starting to see, even if you're not into the rodeo, how enormous it is in this town. We have two NASCAR races, two. One's a playoff. I love NASCAR. We have significant college football games. Kickoff classic, you know, the big ones, Pac-12 championship. All due respect to UNLV football. Let's see what they do, but it should hopefully get better at some point. How long we've been waiting for that. I love UNLV basketball with Coach Kruger, both the Krugers, Lon Kruger, Kevin Kruger. But then the other sports, we're going to have a regional college basketball game. How massive is that when it comes to the NCAA tournament? So everything that's happened, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a few things, but this is the biggest year. And that means a lot of whiskey drinkers are going to be in town, and they should be drinking Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. So when you go into a bar, a casino, a restaurant, you go to your tailgate, break out the Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. When I'm at the Black Hole tailgate, they got a couple of bottles of that. They say, JT, would you want one? I say, you're crazy. I got to host the pregame show. I have my, my one Modelo rule, one Modelo in the parking lot with Cisco. But if I could, maybe after the game, a Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. Thanks to Charles and his team. So I got three pieces of sound I wasn't able to get to that I want to play. I don't make a habit of going after cable television shows other than saying they're ridiculous, stupid, and most of them are just filler. That's what's happened in sports television with cable from ESPN to Fox Sports 1 to all these other channels. They have filler during the day. They used to just take sports radio shows. You know, when I fill in for Jim Rome every year, which I like to do, they take that radio show and they put it on TV. That used to be the way. Now they have debate shows. Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless. I'm sick to my stomach about Skip Bayless this week. I think that his tweet that he didn't back down on when he put out the tweet 
when Hamlin was getting CPR on the field and he was discussing the merits of playing, I thought that was completely inappropriate. If you don't think that's inappropriate, then you aren't doing what I was doing for a living, watching the kid and hearing in my ear from my producers that they were administrating CPR. Skip probably didn't know that at the point, but Skip's an idiot, and Skip uh, went out there and started tweeting about the merits of how are we going to make up this game, how do you not play the game, you know the tweet. So Shannon Sharp took the day off yesterday because he was so pissed off about Skip, fact not fiction, and he, he's, a, he's a gold jacket Hall of Famer that he cared about Hamlin and his condition, and obviously Skip's tweet bothered him a lot like it bothered me so he took the day off in protest and decided to come back today on a show that doesn't have a big audience and why am I talking about it because it's polarizing and this is sports radio and you need to hear the sound so Shannon Sharp comes back today to open up the show and Skip won't even let him get through his monologue listen to this uh, there's been a lot of speculation of why I wasn't on air yesterday, and I won't get into speculation or conjecture or innuendo, but I will say this. In watching that game on Monday night, uh, what happened to DeMar Hamlin struck me a little different. Um, as a brotherhood in the NFL, when injuries happen, when we know injuries are a part of the game, I've seen guys suffer ACLs and Achilles tear, but I've never seen anybody have to be revived and fight for their life on the field. So it struck me a little differently because I remember seeing my brother paralyzed on the field temporarily, and he was able to regain focus. Um, Skip tweeted something, and although I disagree with the tweet, uh, and, and uh, hopefully uh, Skip would take it down, but I didn't want it. Well, yes- time out, time out. I'm not going to take it down because okay. I stand by okay. what I tweeted. Skip, let me okay. finish. Let me- All right, okay. Go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead, let's go, Jen. Okay. I mean, I cannot even get through a monologue without you interrupting okay. me. Well, you could have came back, Skip. Well, I thought, Skip, just let me. I, I, I didn't know going to bring no, up No, this. I was just going to say, Skip, I didn't want to yesterday to get into a situation where DeMar Hamlin was the issue. We should have been talking about him and not get into, okay. your, not get into your, uh, uh, your tweet. That's what I was going to do. But you can't even let me finish my opening monologue without you interrupting. Okay. I was under the impression you weren't going to bring this up because nobody here had a problem with no, that tweet. No. Clearly, the bosses wanted you to offer explanations, so clearly somebody... No, they did not have... Nobody... Let's go, Jen. Thoughts and prayers remain with DeMar Hamlin. That's where the focus should have been, and not on the football game. Yes, let's go, Jen. Thank you. So what was incredible about that soundbite is Skip doubled down. He lied. He said no one had a problem with that tweet at Fox Sports 1. That's full of garbage. Everybody had a problem with that. I know that. I know people in that building. People are ashamed of Skip Bayless. They're ashamed of him. They don't want to work with him. He doesn't talk to any of his coworkers. He's despised by a lot of people in that building. So when Shannon heard that, you could just see Shannon throwing down the pen. If you didn't see the video, he threw down his pen because he knew he took the day off and wanted to come back and have Skip explain himself, or Shannon was going to, and what did Skip Bayless do? He doubled down by saying no one had a problem. No one had a problem with that tweet. That means everybody was okay with the tweet. If no one had a problem with it, then that means everyone is okay with it, and that's a lie. And Shannon Sharp then goes through the rest of the show, and by the end of the show, they're laughing and they're having fun together, which proves it's reality TV. It's all fake. They're all doing it for the money. You know, Skip makes more money than Shannon Sharp, I presume. I don't know what either one of them makes, but reports are they make a lot. And I thought Shannon Sharp, I I really like Shannon Sharp. He might not be your cup of tea or Stephen A., but to work with Skip Bayless every day, to have to work with him. I work with great people. And part of my legacy 
that I want for me, my legacy, is the way I treat everybody I work with. I hope everybody says that about me from my producers to the board ops to everybody. Treat everybody with respect. I thank them for what they do. And always get along with your coworkers. That's the opposite of a Skip Bayless. So I wanted to play that sound because Skip doubled down again. Skip could have looked right across at Shannon and said, this guy's still in critical condition, even though Hamlin's getting better, all reports today from what we hear. Hamlin's getting better. Skip could have said right to Shannon, right across from that table. You know, I regret that tweet or that tweet was taken out of context, but I meant this, but I should have worded it better. That's what I would have said. I would have said I could have worded it better, and he didn't do it. He doubled down. He doubled down on it because he's a terrible human being. He really is a bad guy. And I don't say most about the most people here, especially the ones, and I've met Skip before, but he's a really bad guy for the way he treats his coworker, Shannon Sharp, the way he disrespected him with Tom Brady, the way he says he's basically nothing compared to Tom Brady. Imagine working with someone like that and Skip makes more money and being demeaned that way. Shannon Sharp looks like a bodybuilder. He can come over that table and put Skip over his lap and finish him. But he has enough class not to do that. So that's one piece of sound I wanted to get to. The other one is the controversy with Bart Scott, who is the former linebacker. And he's a hell of a player. Hell of a player. And what he said about T. Higgins throwing his body into DeMar Hamlin. And this is getting a lot of press. And a lot of people are really angered by that. So let's put this in context. Bart Scott is a football player. I am not. I did not play the game at the NFL or college level. He has the right to give his opinion on a play that happened. I don't agree with it. I don't think you agree with it. T. Higgins had no intent, and he didn't hurt. He wasn't the reason that Hamlin's heart stopped. I mean, the force of the hit, it was a one in a billion, one in a million fluke. So I was surprised that Bart Scott went down this road, but you know, I'm not defending him. But I'm not crucifying him either because he's a football player and he played the game and I did not. And I always make that clear. Here's what Bart Scott said that's breaking the internet and everybody's still talking about and calling for his job and looking to cancel him. What exactly did T. Higgins do last night to Hamlin? Well, right right before the tackle, he lowers his helmet and he kind of throws his body into his chest. He's standing up because he's thinking he's got to take chase T. Higgins at an angle to make a tackle. So he didn't expect T. Higgins to launch his body back into him. You know, it's one of those things that a lot of times you sit as a linebacker, uh, un- unblocked, you know, un- unengated um, running back comes through the hole and he knows that contact is coming so he lowers his helmet and you can't get underneath him. So he's able to get into you and your chest is exposed. So they, they, they've taken that out of the game but they don't really regulate it as much as possible. I, I, I expect the league would be a lot more vigilant when it comes to that and using that penalty. So you heard that there, and you know a lot of people are saying former players are coming at him hard. And Bart Scott's going to have to get through this at this point and clarify what's going on. And we do have some other sound that I could get to maybe tomorrow on this. And I think he's going to have to walk this back, obviously, a little bit more. He's going to have to move because Cowboy star Michael Parsons ripped Bart Scott for blaming T. Higgins for DeMar Hamlin suffering cardiac arrest. And he went crazy on that. We could talk about that a little bit more, but I want to keep moving here. That's a piece of sound there that everybody's talking about. We're in the sound business here on Sports Radio, and I wanted you to hear that. And then finally, this last piece of sound came to me, and Bobby got it. Boomer Esiason, the former MVP quarterback who has a morning show, in New York that does very well, and also he's on the CBS pregame show. 
He talked about Derek Carr on his radio show because a lot of people in New York are asking about Derek Carr playing for the Jets, which I believe, and again, I'm a fan of Derek Carr. Derek could play anywhere and be great. Let's get that out of the way. It looks like his road has come to an end in Las Vegas after Oakland. We wish Derek well. Anything could happen on the back end of this that I'm not aware of, but here's what Boomer Esiason said to his partner about Derek Carr the other day. So now for the Jets, G. They, they're back in the quarterback market again. Oh, God. I, you know, I don't want to hear about Zach Wilson or anything else. I, number one, I don't think Zach Wilson wants to be here. Wouldn't blame him if he wanted to go. If, you know, if the agent's in there saying, look, I, he, he's not here, he doesn't want to be here, doesn't want to be around this group, around this fan base, whatever. I, I could understand that. I totally understand that. I, I know it for a fact that Derek Carr is not built for here. I know for a fact. And I know that he's a quarterback that while we all like him and respect him, he will not run with the ball. He, will, he just will not run with the ball. And if he's not going to run with the ball in today's NFL, you got a problem. You need a quarterback that's going to get you three to four first downs on the ground every single game. And, and I'm not saying called runs. I'm just saying, you know, explosive runs that, you know, you see these young quarterbacks all making. He's just not one of those guys. He wants to sit in that pocket. He wants to survey the field. He wants to overthrow a few guys. He wants to hit a couple guys. He wants to have some big numbers. But at the end of the day, he's not a fit here personality-wise, and I don't think he's a fit here playing-wise for what the Jets need. So that, to me, is pretty hardcore. You know, the mindset to play in New York, I'm going to push back on Boomer. That's the Jets. The best thing that could happen to the Jets is to trade a fair asset because they had a lot of draft picks, and they've swung and missed on Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson. The best thing that could happen to the Jets is getting a human being, a quality person like Derek Carr. And, you know, David Carr said this too. Derek's going to play again. Now, can he handle the number one media market? Yeah, I think he can. Did he handle the Las Vegas market perfectly or Oakland? I don't know. I, I thought he was pretty good to me. We didn't talk to Derek much here at the end. Uh, the last couple of years, Derek didn't come on the radio every week. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't take it personally. Why would I? You know, if, he, if he's not happy with a certain thing or not, didn't come on TV with us much, didn't do much. And I don't take it personally. And I don't know many people in the building that I work with to take it personally either. That's Derek's choice, what he wants to do with media. Also, Derek doesn't have a lot of national media endorsement deals. Derek's not one of those guys who are dying to get on TV and radio every week. 2016 was one of my favorite memories with Derek as he was the MVP of the Raiders, and he was, I think, a top-two candidate for MVP before he broke his ankle. I hosted the Derek Carr Show every week, and I was up in the Bay Area on the flagship 95-7 the game. And I had a deal with them up there that was brilliant. That one year that I thought we did great things, put one of my kids through college on that one-year deal. And uh, that was when they told me probably 10 months into the deal, we don't want to talk Raiders anymore. I had people trolling me. Well, your deal, they didn't renew your deal. No, they didn't know the deal. The deal was they came to me and said, you can't talk Raiders anymore on the Raider flagship. We want you to talk Giants baseball and more 49ers. And I laughed at them and collected all my money and stayed at the W Hotel and flew up there two, three times a month to interview Derek Carr. And Derek Carr won 12 games that year. And we did a 10, 15-minute interview every Monday, and it went well. And he treated me well in those interviews I have, and I'll remember him forever. So that's why I wish Derek well. 
I, I think I was the last guy to interview him other than one of his game post games when he signed his contract. And I'll never forget that moment when Derek came in and his wife and kids were there on the outside and he signed that contract extension. Turned out that contract extension won't extend, it looks like, but he was happy that day to secure that money for his family and was very happy that day. And that was really the last time I had a big conversation with him. I don't travel with this team as much. I went to a few games this year. But as I said, whenever I saw Derek, I wished him well, and I wish him well now. So to push back on Boomer Esiason, yes, Derek Carr would work really well in New York with the Jets, Indianapolis with the Colts, Carolina with the Panthers, New Orleans with the Saints, wherever he ends up. How could he not? Look at all the numbers that he put up. It's better than all these other markets that got rid of their quarterbacks and have nothing to show for it. But that's what Boomer Esiason doesn't think that Derek would work in New York. I disagree. I think that Derek could work anywhere, and we all wish him well. 702-365-9200. As we wrap up this day uh, in a little bit here, and you know, just excited to talk more about this game coming up. Really looking forward to Saturday and the Raiders ending the season on a big note. I'm not into moral victories. I'm not into close games. I'm not into anything. I just want to see a win. Just win, baby. One more time through the parking lot. One more time up to the torch. One more time rolling around from the Twitch club to Modelo for the postgame show. And then we'll get out on a Saturday night. And if the Raiders win, it'll be a nice way to wrap up the season. And we'll go heavy on the Kansas City matchup, as I said, tomorrow. Someone put their hands on Travis Kelsey. Please, please, someone just put your hands on Travis Kelsey. As I said earlier in the show, today's George Atkinson's birthday who's on the top, he's on my Mount Rushmore of all-time Raiders because of our friendship. And George did it with a player named Russ Francis. And George did it with other tight ends. George would jack him up off the line of scrimmage to the point if that wasn't a flag, everybody was thinking about it because George, a safety, put his hands on tight ends. Let's get a linebacker or a safety to make Kelsey work and make him earn it because there's no Tyreek Hill. So we all know Kelsey's coming. Hopefully the Raiders can slow them down as we continue. JT, this is the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. Play action. Back to throw. Pressure in his face. Comes near side for Morrow. What a catch at the 30. Breaks away 35-40. And finally tripped up at the 44-yard line. Hit from behind on what could have been a touchdown-saving tackle by Oren Burks. But Foster Morrow got on top of a defender to rip it away and pick up an extra 15 yards. That's another big play. Foster Moreau made a couple of big catches. Jason Horowitz on the call. JT, as we are wrapping it up. So it looks like tomorrow I'll be hosting the show from the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center inside the Raider facility. Uh, possibly Steve Levy from ESPN. He's the play-by-play voice on this game on television on Saturday. It's a national game. Big spot for the Raiders. Also, Levi Edwards. I'm going to try to get on in the building there. Uh, Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5. A couple of our insiders and maybe some other things we can work on, and then have the coach. I'll interview the coach for TV and radio. We'll play the radio portion of that on Friday, and heavy, 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 heavy Kansas City tomorrow. I don't like the fact that Andy Reid has been doing a number on this organization for quite some time now. Andy Reid has the playbook, has the players, has the quarterback, and plays the Raiders twice every year, and it's been one-sided. 
And the Raiders got to stop that. And the Gruden regime tried to do it. They had a good plan. I really thought they had a good plan. They just swung and missed on first-round draft picks. They had some other good picks. Hunter Renfro, Max Crosby. You go down the list of bringing in Perryman and some of the other players who are building blocks to beat Kansas City. But to beat Kansas City, you have to do it over a consistent amount of time. And that's something that I've heard in the building from several different regimes going back to Alameda is that they want to get this organization to a spot where they can compete against Kansas City and beat them consistently. They can't do that now. So Dave Ziegler was brought in to fix it. And I think everyone in the Raider Nation should get behind him. What are you going to do, fight him on that? You're going to root against him? What's what you have to do? you got to climb the mountain one step at a time. And the mountain near the top of the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're the last big, big distraction before the Raiders can get over them. If you look at the success of Kansas City, Green Bay, Dave brought up with me Baltimore, right? Buffalo now. Buffalo seems to be that type of team that's going to be back year after year. Once you get there, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go to the playoffs and then not go back for four or five years. And the Raiders got to build a base of players here that continue can continue to go back. And it's not happening until after this free agent class and draft. And this will be a big step because there's a lot of good players on this team who will be back. Thanks to Bobby, Bill Williamson, Vinny Bonsignor, Sal Capaccia of the Buffalo Bills and what he does. And I'll do it again tomorrow. Always appreciate the opportunity to come back. If you miss any portion of the show, it's at lbsportsnetwork.com. Thanks to all of our partners. I'm at JT the Brick on Facebook. We're doing a lot on Facebook. Don't give up on Facebook. And go make some internet friends on Facebook at JT the Brick. Q's on deck. Have a great day, everybody. Break!